This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, we will get you to Mark Wayne Mullen here in just a second. But before we dig in, obviously, today we're going to be talking about this proposed border deal that came out. The the text of it came out on Sunday. This obviously affects me directly because it was negotiated in terms of the Republicans by my senator, James Langford, who's also the uh, the, I guess, co-worker you could call Mark Wayne Mullen. But in this discussion today, we certainly talk about it. And Mark Wayne is not on board with this. So spoiler alert, he's not on board with the bill the way it's currently constituted with the negotiations that happened with. Senator Schumer and Senator Cinema, Sim, there it is, and Senator Lankford. And so we didn't dig into a lot of the text of the bill. We got into, okay, what does it look like now? How do we get here? What does it look like in the future? So I just want to break down a few things from the bill. And a lot of people have done this, but for some of you, the only political commentary you get is from my show, which is a little bit dangerous for you. But at the end of the day, I try to be as as down the center and as clear on these things as possible. So just so you know, uh, Senator Lankford, he, you know, I'm on his email list. He sent an email with the text of this bill. So when I'm referring to things inside the bill today, some people are like, oh, it's section Q, uh, a dash blah, 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 and all that. I'm just going to give you the page number according to the link that is here in the show notes. And so maybe that's different from the actual congressional website or different things like that. But as I was reading through a lot of things in this uh, proposal, because it's like 300 pages, it's a lot. It's it's very heady if you're, a, you know, a lawyer out there. And I know we got some good lawyers that listen to this show, uh, especially the ones out there in Nacogdoches, Texas. Shout out to you guys. But, you know, you guys probably, you know, you've done a lot of this reading and a lot of this type of thing. And so I'm, I'm sure it's something that's easier for you to consume, not as easy for me to consume. But as I was thinking through and reading through this stuff, there's a great Napoleon quote. Yes, Napoleon that I thought about this week, and it's never interfere with an enemy while he's in the process of destroying himself. So keep that in mind while I I spitball here for just a second. So if I were a Democrat or an advisor to the Democratic Party, I would see the current public perception about what's going on at the border. And if I was being honest, I would have to admit, you know, as a Democratic advisor, that the majority of Americans think that this is a problem created or at least allowed for by Biden and the Democrats. Okay. So if I were to advise the Democratic Party, I would tell them that somehow, guys, somehow, some way, we need to make it seem like it's the Republicans' fault that the border problem is happening. And it's because of their syncophantic support of the insurrectionists in chief Donald Trump, right? We have to somehow make people believe that. I would tell them that this would be an almost impossible task to pull off, but that we should at least try to do this so that we could gaslight the American people. And then this bill proposal was released and boom, it, it's, it's the biggest possible gift for Democrats because now Democrats can reasonably say that this is the Republicans fault. Now, this is probably not going to pass the Senate, may not even come up for a vote in the Senate. It's going to be dead on arrival in the House. There will not be a vote in the House. So the, the bill, how it's currently constructed, this is kind of foolish that we're even talking about it because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, it, it could have not even be released. But the problem is, is they did release it. And Senator Lankford, who as I've told you here on this show before, back in 2016, I wanted to write in Senator Lankford for, for president. Uh, and not vote for Donald Trump and not vote for Hillary Clinton. That's how much I believed in Senator Langford. But this is just a heaping pile of crap. And when I see him go out there on the news and talk about, oh, well, you know, y'all aren't reading this right. And this is what it means. And this is what it means. The problem, Senator, is that we can read. We can read. And also the people that were part of this process with you can read specifically Chris Murphy. So he's a senator from Connecticut. 
He's one of the bill's authors, okay? He literally said that this bill, that because of this bill, that the border never closes. This is one of the authors of the bill, that if this were to go through past the Senate and the House, which it will not, and if it was signed by Joe Biden, which it would not be, that the border never closes. And he also said this on Twitter uh, earlier this week. He said this, nobody had more optimism than me that Republicans would do the right thing and vote for our bipartisan bill to fix the border and fund Ukraine. But today we found out Republicans chose Trump. They want border chaos because it helps him campaign. That's all that matters. So Senator Lankford and any of the other foolish Republicans that got on board with this just the writing of this policy as and it's not even a real law right at this point. It's just a proposal. They have allowed the Democrats to put part of this burden and part of the blame on Republicans. It is so unbelievably foolish. So there are a lot of Oklahomans like me that are very furious with Senator Lankford, who is, again, one of the most conservative Republicans in Congress, the most conservative, one of the most conservative across the board on a myriad of issues, including my biggest issue, which is the pro-life issue. But this is egregious. It's absolutely egregious. So the best case scenario is that Senator Lankford is just too weak to fight against Christian Cinema or Senator Schumer and to be able to push back on the stupid parts of this policy. But then it's like, what are the other options? He he thinks this is a good idea because he sure is making the rounds on CNN and other places right now saying, oh, no, this is great. This is what it actually means. We're not turning away 5,000 people. At, uh, we're not you know, letting 5,000 people into the interior every day. You know, we're, we're turning 5,000 people away. And he said that over and over and over, which is kind of dumb just from the outset, because even at that number, even at 4,999 people a day, that would be 1.825 million illegal immigrants that we know about being released into the interior of the United States every single year legally. 1.825 million, which if it were its own city, guys, that would make it the fifth largest city in America, only behind New York City, L.A., Chicago, and Houston. And let's not pretend like the cartels who are actually running the border. It's not the United States. It's the cartels. Let's not pretend like they can't count and they wouldn't manipulate waves that they're sending to the border of people because this bill says that, okay, you know, if it's above 5,000 people encountered at the border over, you know, a seven day period, then we're shutting the border down. Well, then they're just going to send people in waves to the border, you know, on five and six day rotations because duh. But in addition to that, so that 5,000 a day number you've heard bandied about a lot, that would not include unaccompanied minors. Unaccompanied minors would not be included in the 5,000 per day, which this bill, this, this nonsense bill, would not usurp the Flores Agreement. Okay? So what that, well, basically the Flores Agreement says is that at some point, those unaccompanied minors would have their illegal guardians, sorry, it would be the legal guardians of those children that are illegal in terms of their ability to come to the United States, they would be reconnected in the United States. That because the unaccompanied minors came, their illegal immigrant parents would be welcomed into this country. And again, that's not taken into account with the 5,000 people a day. And so we actually see this on page 60 and 83 of the bill. Again, that is in the show notes. It says this, nothing in this section may be construed to abrogate any provision of the stipulated settlement agreement in Reno v. Flores. Also, 
this bill states that if 5,000 people or more per day, like I said, came to the border for any seven consecutive day period, that the border can be shut down entirely. But, and here's the big but, the bill gives the president, who currently is Joe Biden, legal authorization to suspend that order at any time. So we see this on page 129 of the bill. If the president finds that it is in the national interest to temporarily suspend the border emergency authority, the president may direct the secretary, that is Mayorkas right now, to suspend use of the border emergency authority on an emergency basis. So essentially, you have more than 5,000 people a day come in for seven straight days. We're like, all right, well, hey, this bill says that we need to shut down the border. And Joe Biden says, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're going to do that, you dog-faced pony soldier. And guess what? It's not shut down. He says to Mayorkas or whoever's in that secretarial position, hey, we're not shutting down the border. And you know what Republicans can do about it? Not a damn thing. Not a single thing. Also, a crappy part of this bill is it changes the language around asylum claims from, quote, significant possibility of persecution, unquote, to, quote, reasonable possibility of persecution, unquote. So again, an asylum seeker, right, has to show up at one of the ports of entry and say, look, I fear going back to my country because there is a significant possibility of persecution. The cartels have basically taught them how to say that in English. But it's changing it from a significant possibility, which is difficult to adjudicate anyway, to a reasonable possibility of persecution, which how in the world would anybody adjudicate that? Now, there's a reasonable possibility of persecution. There's also a reasonable chance that a meteor is going to fly out of the sky and hit me in my head on my way to walking to my truck here in a little bit. It's reasonable. It could happen, right? And we see this on page 120 of the proposal. If such alien demonstrates during the interview that the alien has a reasonable possibility of persecution or torture, such alien shall be referred to or placed in proceedings under Section 240 or 240D as appropriate. Okay? In addition to all this, just kind of, you know, spitballing here at the end, it codifies catch and release. So catch and release is, you know, we catch you at the border, then we release you into the interior with a court date, 95% of which people don't show back up to. Also, this proposal has a sunset clause that would go well into a potential Trump presidency. So this would actually hamstring President Trump starting in January of 2025 if he takes the presidency, which I think is you know a, a dubious uh, assumption. But if he does take it, he has to abide by the nonsense that would be in this bill. And then, obviously, this has been talked about a lot, the overwhelming majority of the funding does not go to the border wall. It does not go to Border Patrol agents, it doesn't go to anything border related in terms of the United States border. So it's about 20 billion to our border, but 60 billion would go to Ukraine and 14 billion would go to Israel. So American taxpayers would be paying $74 billion to protect the borders of not America. And in addition to this, there would be $2 billion that would go to organizations that are in this country that are aiding illegal immigration, that are facilitating it. And also $3 billion would go in aid to Gaza, which in other words means American taxpayers would be giving $3 billion to Hamas in their fight against Israel. So we give $14 billion to Israel, but then we give $3 billion to Gaza, which is not going to go to provide clean you know, drinking water or healthy food to Gazans. It's going to go to make rockets and to buy AKs. So, if this comes up for a vote, this is going to die the, the, a thousand deaths in the Senate, 
But the thing is, is if it does even come up for a procedural vote, which Mark Wayne talks about here in the interview, you better pay attention to the Republicans that vote yes for this. Because Senator Lankford's going to have to. And if you're an Okie right now and you're pissed off about that, that he would vote yes because he's the one that wrote it, I'm with you. I'm completely with you. Is that enough to not vote for him the next time he's up for re-election? I don't know. This is really bad. This is really, really, really bad. And a lot of people are calling for his head, and, you know, I get it. And calling for his head politically, obviously. Um, but And I totally get it. So the bill is nonsense. I want to spend a little bit of time going through some of that because we don't get into that much detail in terms of the actual bill and the language of the bill in this interview. But we'll go ahead and send you off to my interview with Mark Wayne Mullen. So enjoy. Hey, guys, real quick. If you're anything like me, you are constantly on the lookout for high quality products that are actually made here in America by American hands. The problem is that a lot of American companies have outsourced their labor overseas. So it's an American company, but it's supporting people that don't live here. So I've always wanted to partner with an American company that prioritizes America, American workers and making all of their materials here in this country. That's why I want to remind you that we are partnered with Origin. Origin is an apparel company based in Maine, and they are focused on getting as much manufacturing back to the United States as they can possibly do. What do they make? They make the best jujitsu geese on the planet, and these are the only jujitsu geese that are made completely in America. They also make jeans. Yes, they're stretchy and awesome. They also make amazing hunting gear, and I know you guys love your Kuyu and your Sitka, but those companies use overseas labor, and they don't do that to help you guys out. They do that to increase their profit margins. Origin also makes boots and work boots, and yes, that does include steel toe boots. And in the fall of last year, they launched a line of everyday clothing. Their Versa pants are their everyday pants, and they are just especially phenomenal. They also make other outdoor clothes and workout clothes, and they're launching new apparel stuff all the time. If you haven't already, you need to check them out and support a company that supports America and America's workers. Try Origin out today by going to www.originusa.com. That's originusa.com. Use the promo code UNDAUNTED to get 10% off of your order. Again, that's originusa.com. Promo code UNDAUNTED to get 10% off of your order. All right, Mark Wayne, you're back. I can tell by the look on your face that you're a little disappointed that I'm back to my normal dress here. So I've got the official uniform of Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Are you sad? Yeah, I am. You set the standard so high to just go back to regular. I mean, it's not even a V-neck uh, t-shirt. Yeah, it is. Well, it I is. It's you're all fuzzy on my end. Okay, at least you, at least you're stepping it up and going to a V-neck. But I mean, yeah, the whole top hat and the tuxedo, tux, tuxedo. I mean, man, you just killed it. It just really brought the level of professionalism of this podcast through the roof. So. Which was never my intention because I never want to be uh, misconstrued as being professional. So I, I'm very disappointed <laughs> to hear you say that. But I will say before I threw on the tuxedo and the top hat, I did think to myself, man, I'm kind of setting the standard here. Because it's like when you go out to dinner with somebody first and you go to like a fancy steak restaurant, it's kind of right. hard to go to Burger King afterwards. But it just kind of is what it is. But we got to okay. get down. Well, since you're what? talking about it, am I the only guy that after I go to a fancy dinner, I come home and still want a bowl of cereal? Okay, so I went to a dinner here recently, and here's the deal. Like, when I go to a restaurant, I'm going there to eat. I don't want an experience. I don't need ambiance. I don't need music. But I had a really good buddy invite me to this dinner, and it was with this fancy chef. And, like, it, it was actually a really cool dinner, and there were different smells and different music and all that. I was starving when I left. And I told my wife before I left, I'm like, I guarantee you I'm going to have to get something to eat after this because it's going to be really delicious food, but it's also going to be serving size for like little people. And you know, I destroy as much food as possible during a very short window during my day. So yeah, you and I are on the same page with that. I I will go, I will eat a bowl of cereal. I would say 
uh, at least 50% of the time after I get home from a dinner. I'll still well, walk in the door and have a bowl of cereal. Of course, I eat cereal for dinner a lot too. So that's there, there you go. Well, hey, whenever you're back in Oklahoma next, maybe you and I can go to the ranch because I don't think anybody has left the ranch steakhouse in Oklahoma City and has ever hey, been hungry or Cattleman's or whatever your favorite one is. See, see I'm, I'm both and both of them I leave full. The problem is it's like an hour and a half drive back to my house from there. By the time I get back, it's digested and I'm ready for a bowl of cereal. All right. I have a new plan, new plan before we get down to business. So what we will do is we will do like a mid afternoon thing. We will start, we'll do a late lunch at Cattleman's. <laughs> then we will, you know, sit there, have a good time. And then we will drive to the ranch and do an early dinner. And so with those two things combined, by the time you get home, you should be satisfied. No uh, fruit loops needed. Uh, yeah. You'll be rolling me out the door. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'll butter up the doorway if we need to get you out. That's no problem. I could carry you out of there, sir. It's not a big deal. But hey, we need to get down to business here. Uh, obviously, the only thing that anybody really wants to talk about this week is the the proposed U.S. border uh, right. proposal. Um, obviously, there's been a ton of backlash. Uh, there have been a lot of prominent Republicans, uh, not the least of which are senators that are like, there's no way. Rubio, Florida, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, J.D. Vance, Tommy Tuberville, all of them have said, there's no way I'm voting for this. This is a piece of garbage. Um, they said, you know, Mike Johnson said this isn't even going going to get a vote in the house. And so I guess just the easiest way to start before we actually dig into the text of the bill is you, Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma, representing me, do you support this bill in the way that it is right now? And I guess, do you even think it's going to come up for a vote in the Senate, much less the House? Well, we'll do. No, I don't support it the way it is right now. Absolutely not. Okay. Um, but we're going to do a, a procedural vote today. And mm -hmm. today is Wednesday. I don't know when you're right. when this thing airs. This will be released Thursday morning. Yeah. So and it'll 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 go down in flames. It won't it won't even get close. In fact, I don't even know if they actually bring it up for a procedural vote because there's enough Democrats that's actually pulled off of it, and all the Republicans that pulled off of it. Um, I, I don't think it'll. I don't know. It, even if they do bring it to the floor, it's going to fail. So then, what do you do? You try to repackage it. I don't think you can repackage it. But let's go to the backstory on this and understand how we got to this place. And so there's always a backstory to every bill. You got to go back to remember last year, let's say August, when people were screaming, we need a border bill, right? We need a, we need a border bill. Now, the House has passed H.R. 2. H.R. Uh, 2 is the gold standard. But Schumer said he wasn't bringing it to the floor, to the Senate floor, and Biden said he would veto it. But that's where the House was at. House is controlled by Republicans. They can pass that. You got the Senate's controlled by, by the White House. It, or, or Really, it is. It's controlled by the White House. It's not controlled by Schumer. So you, you, they want an open border. <clears throat> so we were what the original plan was is just to get a bill to the floor, get a border bill to the floor, because once you get it to the floor, the border bill is never going to stay intact. It's amended and everybody's going to amend it. Hmm. And then if you could get the bill amended, then you can go to conference with H.R. 2 and the, the, the House passed border bill, and then you get uh, the Senate passed for, uh, border bill, which been amended, and you go to conference and, and you, you, you hash out the differences. Be, and, and that's our best place to actually go to because when you have James Lankford negotiating a border deal, he's, he's negotiating against Biden and Chuck Schumer. So he's, he's one piece of a three-legged stool. Probably not the best position to negotiate. It's like, you know, I'd rather fight one on one than two against one. Yeah. And that's it. The analogy would be he's fighting two against one. But when you bring it to the floor, it takes Republicans and Democrat bills now uh, uh, to pass it. And keep in mind, there's a lot of Democrats that want to open border. 
So once you get it to the Senate floor, now you start having amendment, the amendments. They have to accept the amendments because they know that the Republicans have to vote for the bill too. So now it's not James Lankford negotiating against two, it's 50-50. And then you go, then you, then by the time you get it out of there and the bill would get better if you could amend it. And then once you go to conference, because you assign conferees, now you're, now you're dead, you're, you're dead locked. Those bills have to marry and they're going to get, there's not going to be a perfect bill, but it's going to be so much better on the third process. Because the first process, bring it to the, bring it to the floor. Second process is to amend it. Third process is conference. But because everybody got out in front of this bill before they even read it, we're not even politics got in the way of us actually being able to get a border bill. So it got destroyed before the text was even out. I mean, my Lord, three minutes after the text was out, you had leadership coming out saying the bill's dead on arrival. And you're going, oh, that's 370 pages of extremely complicated reading. And you've read it in three minutes and you're already saying you're against the bill and you don't and we forgot the process of what we're doing. So it's kind of unfortunate that we're here because we knew this bill was going to be. It wasn't going to be a good bill when it came out. We knew that. But that's what the amendment, the amendment process is. And there's never been a bill that came through the Senate that didn't get amended. Well, and that's what I appreciate the last time we talked about this, which was just a few weeks ago. You're like, you know, exact, what exactly are we talking about right now? Because the yeah. text of the bill wasn't out yet. It's like, let's not put the cart before the horse, but you're right. The the text was released Sunday night, and within minutes on Twitter, everybody had the, their, everybody. their ready-made proposals. Now, yeah. we're recording this on Wednesday. This is coming out on Thursday, but on Tuesday, so this would have been yesterday, yesterday. Um, you posted something on Twitter, and I just want to read through this because – the biggest critique of this bill and really any border bill in general, there are a lot of big critiques. Uh, we'll get to some of them is that Biden can go ahead and do yes. some of the things anyway. So I, I have to read what you wrote here because it's perfect. Joe Biden likes to say he's waiting on Congress to secure the border. Interesting how president Trump was able to do it all on his own. Here are 10 things Biden can do right now using his own executive authority. One, one end Obama era catch and release. Two, reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy. Amen. Three, reinstate safe third country agreements. Four, end parole abuses. Five, detain inadmissible aliens. Six, use expedited removal. Seven, rein in taxpayer-funded benefits for illegal aliens. Eight, issue a proclamation to suspend or restrict entry. Nine, resume construction of the border wall. Ten, use current law deportation authority under Title Eight. So Correct. with all that in mind, all that, all ten things are, you know, fact check true, why would Republicans or Republican voters or American taxpayers, why would we stomach any type of border deal when all these things can be done right now? What can Republicans do to force Joe Biden's hand? Because he clearly doesn't want to do any of these things. So go back to where uh, Trump was in office and he was trying to change the asylum process. Right. And uh, and it went to court and he got and he got overturned at court. And what he was trying to do is keep them from being able to come across and say the magic words, I fear my country. And then they automatically go into the asylum process and the asylum process then gets overwhelmed. It takes years for us to to hear if they actually have a credible threat. So he wanted to change it instead of us having a hearing for it that they before they could when they claimed asylum, they also had to have proof that that was there. So what this bill process was, it was one we were going to look at the, the asylum process and change it because there's a pack, a North American pack between Canada United States and, and Mexico that says that if you enter one of those countries first, that is where you're to claim asylum. 
So it's first country of entry. Of, and, and then that's where you claim asylum. So you're not technically supposed to be able to go across Mexico, then claim asylum inside the United States. It's just like you can't go across the United States and claim asylum in, in, in Canada, or if you're going south, claim it in Mexico because it's first country of entry because we're considered a safe country. So if you change the policy and said, hold on, you got to choose the, the, the asylum process was going to be was was changing to what P- Trump wanted to put in place. They say, um, if you come across, if you come into our country, you can't simply say, I fear my country. You got to prove one that you fear the, the, the government and why. Then you had to prove that you, there was no safe place for you to go to inside that country and then three you had to prove that there was no country you cross that you could have claimed asylum along the way right that would have stopped 80 that would have stopped probably 95 percent of the legal crossings from even being able to get into the united states because they couldn't say that unless they were from mexico correct which the majority of the people coming now are not from mexico Right. Uh, and, and then the pro process to where right now we parole 85 percent of the people immediately. The pro process, we are going to change to say that it has to have a hearing. You have to have a hearing before you're released on the credible threats. And it had to be done within 10 days. So what the border bill, what we are really trying to do is change those two things. Instead of them automatically be paroled, they couldn't be paroled until they proved the asylum they needed. And 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 those two things, if we got them changed, they couldn't be overturned, which is exactly what Biden did. He overturned the 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 executive orders that Trump had in place, which essentially is the Remain in Mexico. You can't because the the Remain in Mexico was the asylum process of saying that you had to stay in Mexico. You couldn't claim it inside the United States. Right. So. We were just trying to take politics out of it and take the executive order out of it and and codify it in legislation. Okay, so where we're at right now, there, there's a lot of things, and you and I have talked about this before. It's easy to be a purist when it comes to policy. It's very different when you're a lawmaker. But sitting there right now as a lawmaker, this doesn't look like it may not come up for a procedural vote, doesn't look like it's going to pass the Senate, definitely won't pass the House. It's never going to make it to Joe Biden's desk. I've heard people say this, and they think this is like the Hail Mary big-time option, but I don't necessarily know. Of all the things that the Republicans could hold the Democrats' feet to the fire on, up to and including a government shutdown, the border is the one that I feel like the American people can be like, yeah, it's very important because all these blue cities and blue states and sanctuary cities even, they're finally seeing what the real life consequences are of these policies that sound good in theory. Like Denver right now, I think is per capita has more illegal immigrants, you know, sleeping and sheltering there. And it's destroying the local economy of Denver. And and that's a very micro example But I think there is an appetite for Americans to say, yeah, if we need to shut down the government for a little bit to get Biden to move on this, that's great. But is that something that the Republicans would even do? Is it like, hey, let's just wait for the election in November and then we'll figure it out then? Or is it like, hey, this is a disaster now. We need to fix it now. Um, I think uh, the appetite is, politically speaking, is people want to wait until Trump gets in office. Uh, The reality is we do need to fix it now. The, the it, 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 it every day we're going to continue to have record crossings. The numbers are down slightly, but they're going to increase. And then if Trump were to win, um, say he wins in November, the next two months are going to be chaotic at the border because everybody knows what's happening. And so the right. drug cartels are going to try making all the money they can and they're going to try rushing it through. 
So we need to actually be prepared for that as well. But we can't sit there, Kyle, and 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 think that we should wait on this. It, sure. We're dealing. You have an open border. That's what you have right now. Or you pass a border bill that changes some of the policies to keep that from happening. Joe Biden already said that if we pass a border bill, he'll shut down the he'll shut down the border. Well, my point on my my tweet I put out was or X whatever you call it now, is mm-hmm. that um, is that it. it he doesn't have to have that authority. He could do that right now if he chose to do it. He's just looking for an excuse because the politics in this is they drug their feet so long to get this border bill done. We, we could have rolled this thing out in December. Mm-hmm. They drug their feet so long, they made it toxic. And uh, and they didn't never wanted to get the border bill done. What they want to do is come back and politically say, see, we try to do something <clears throat> but the MAGA extremist does, doesn't want it to be done. So yeah, it's all politics. I, it has nothing to do with policy up here, Kyle, nothing. Well, I, I mean, obviously that seems to be true. And, and the, the reality is, is if it's right, if it's the right thing to do in January of 2025, it's the right thing to do right now. And so with that in mind, I've heard people float this because I've said it here on this show and all the way up to the richest man you know, on the planet, Elon Musk has said something similar. It seems like the reason why the Democrats and specifically Joe Biden don't want to shut down the border is because they believe, probably not in Joe Biden's lifetime, uh, which, you know, that's not saying much, but they believe that at some point the Republican Party will completely cave on amnesty and not just DACA, not just, you know, DACA recipients and, you know, kids that for no fault of their own were, were brought here illegally just so their parents could get here illegally. Not those people, but just at some point the 15, 20, 25, eventually 30 million illegal immigrants that are here in this country, that Republicans will falter. And in one fell swoop, all those people will be given citizenship and voting rights, thus locking in a Democratic majority essentially forever. And part of the thing that I said on my show, and I I can't remember if I told you this or not, I think the reason why these Democrat senators and Democrat governors and mayors are freaking out about their cities being overrun is because that wasn't part of the plan. The plan is to overrun red states so that you put so many of them, these illegal immigrants in Texas, that when you snap your fingers and they're all legal, now Texas goes immediately from being a red state to a blue state, and then every federal election is now toast for Republicans. Again, this seems like conspiracy theory stuff. And pre-2020, I probably wouldn't even have said this out loud because I thought it would have just been too outlandish of a plan. But this, in its most basic form, even as Neferi said it as it is, that seems like the plan. Like if I were to create this plan with a cabal of evil people, it would be like, hey, we're just going to get these people here and eventually Republicans will cave. Do you see it that way? Do you see a future I, where that's going to happen? I can see, I mean, I'm, I'm going to play along with you here for a second, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you, first of all, you can't control how someone's going to how someone's going to register to vote or if they're going to vote for you. So you're kind of taking a hard what ifs on that. And especially mm-hmm. with the Hispanic population now, turning towards Republicans instead of going towards Democrats. You got to keep in mind, uh, a lot of these individuals that migrated here, they left a lawless third world country. They came mm-hmm. here because we're, we're a nation of laws. Now they see this immigration causing wrecking havoc on that. So you maybe could, if you were just talking about individuals from, from Mexico that was trying to get over here to work, to get a better life that we all know, we all have had 
friends that was that probably came over here illegally. Uh, I mean, they're 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 in our lives. All they're in our lives. But what you have now is you have this open border that's been going on for for four years. You have eight point eight million people that's come across, and they're not just Hispanics anymore coming from Mexico wanting to wanting to work. These are criminals. And it, and I'll take you back to 1978, 1979 to 1984, when Miami, Florida was the most dangerous country, one of the most dangerous countries in the world, definitely inside the United States, but I think it ranked up with one of the most dangerous countries in the world per capita for murders and, and for violent crimes. And what had happened then is Cuba had released basically all their prisons and, uh, and, uh, and their asylum, uh, uh, mental health places and, uh, and they put them into uh, boats and shipped them to Florida. And mm-hmm. it just wrecked havoc throughout the country. Uh, or throughout the, the the city, and there was high crimes. There was burnings of, of jails when they were locking them up. I mean, it just caused problems. Now look what just happened in, um, in 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 New York. There's a lot of criminals that are coming from Venezuela, all across South America. But we'll use Venezuela for for example because there's a lot of lot of criminal activities coming from individuals that came from Venezuela, especially organized crime. And, and I'm not saying that the government's shipping them here, but you have 7 million people that's left Venezuela. And if your business is robbing and, and, and terrorizing your neighbors, there's no one else left to rob and steal. So you've got to come to the United States. Hmm. Those individuals would keep that from taking place. So the amnesty to which you're talking about, no one's going to give amnesty to bad behavior. So even if you got, even if you soften this ten years down the road, these criminals are still here, and the criminal doesn't just straighten up one day and decide not to be a criminal anymore. They 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 don't they they don't believe and they don't look they don't think that. So um, I, I think that could happen if you're just talking about people from Mexico. But now that you have all this criminal activity in, people are fed up, and that's why you're seeing these blue these blue cities, <clears throat> these sanctuary cities. Kyle are going get them. We got to do something. We need to secure a border now because it's the neighborhoods are rough. I was in New York last week and uh, uh, I went right past the hotel that they're all staying in because I was meeting one block away and uh, it's rough. I wouldn't want to necessarily walk down there. I wouldn't, I, I don't have a problem walking down there myself, but I wouldn't want my wife to be walking down there by herself. I promise you that. And it's not that because of their Hispanics It's because it was a rough looking crowd. I mean, <laughs> You, you understand rough if you've been around it before, and that was a rough crowd. That wouldn't be a crowd you want to mess with. No, and I'll be honest, at the end of the year, last year I always do kind of predictions for news stories that I think will happen, and one of my more macabre predictions that I hope is super-duper not true is that I thought that there was going to be a major terrorist attack inside the interior of the United States perpetrated by an illegal immigrant because, obviously, as we've seen and as a lot of people have said over and over, we're not just getting people from – you know, Mexico, Central America, South America, we're getting people from every country on the planet, including countries that have people that hate us. And they, and they don't hate us because of, you know, our policy. different countries have been, uh, uh, people from 170 different countries have been apprehended this year already. 
Right. And so we're talking Iran, we're talking North Korea, we're talking Syria, we're talking about these places that these people don't hate us because of, right, all the stands, they, they don't hate us because of our policies and the things that we've done in the Middle East. They hate us because they hate us and they want us to die because we are the infidel. And if these people, and like there was, there was even a, a known terrorist that had just got out of prison that was, you know, interviewed on the Southern border. And the people are like, who are you? What's your name? And he goes, you will know my name soon. I can't remember the guy's name, but this is a guy who has served prison time for terrorism in another country. And now he's in the interior of the United States. Where exactly? We don't have any freaking idea, but I'm assuming he's not sitting in a hotel room by himself. I'm assuming there was a cell of people that he's already linked up with. And so I, I know you got to run here in a second and go do your actual big boy job. But I guess the the last thing that we, we want to talk about here is, again, Americans are, are pretty fed up, Mark Wayne, of these bills where there's so many things attached to one bill. So there's Ukraine funding and then there's Israel funding and then there's funding going to Gaza and then there's funding going to this. And then we've got this pet project, and that pet project. So I've heard rumblings that because this thing is basically DOA, this proposal is basically dead on arrival, that the Senate is now going to break these bills up. And so Ukraine funding will be its own bill and border whatever is going to be its own bill. Is that going to happen? You're already shaking your head. That's not going to happen. So last night, if you pay attention, mind you, this is Wednesday. So Tuesday night, um, the, the house tried to bring up Israel bill by itself and it failed. Yeah. So what, what reason why you see these cobbled together is because there's some people that they don't care about Israel and they're not going to vote for it. There are some people that they don't care about Ukraine uh, and they're not going to vote for it, but they do care for Israel. And some that don't care for Israel kills, cares for Ukraine or Indo-Pacific, which is Taiwan. And so the reason why you put those together is because usually not one can stand by itself. So you put them together to try to get the votes for the package of, of the whole. And that's just the negotiations. That's that's this reality. I mean, we, we have 100 senators that represent uh, 50 different states and we have 435 members of Congress that represent 50 different states. We all have different interests. We all come from unique backgrounds. We all have different things that, that, that drive us there. So when you couple these together, it's because it's the only way you can pass them because it's got to have something in there for everybody. That's why there's never a perfect bill and there never will be a perfect bill. Like I said, they tried to pass Israel funding by itself last night in the House, which is Republican control, and they couldn't get it passed. So we're gonna, what you're going to see is a slim down portion. So basically all we're going to do is take the, take the border bill out and vote on Ukraine, Israel, and Indo-Pacific, which is Taiwan. And, uh, and then you may have a supplemental disaster portion of it too, because the people that really don't care about, um, uh, about uh, um, uh, international affairs, they, are, they want to have disaster relief. And so there's the, the fires in Hawaii and, uh, and then some of the storms that we've been dealing with, the, the heavy snowstorms we're dealing with on the West Coast, all, these, all that disaster uh, has to be refilled because we're basically already out of money for FY24. So that, that's the disaster bills in there. And that's to get another group of people to vote for it because you don't have enough people to support any one issue. Sounds complicated. I don't like it. Yeah, it's just it's politics, but that's what it's that's what we've been doing. We've been doing this since the conception of this country, uh, and uh, and that's why I say there's never been a perfect bill ever. I mean, even the Constitution was amended. So there's always give and takes in this, and that's just that's that's the reality we live in. Not everybody's from Oklahoma. Well, you say there's never been a perfect bill. 
Well, I'm giving you that as your goal for 2024, Mark Wayne Mullen. You are going to author the perfect bill, and maybe by the next time we talk in March, you will have done so. It'll have to be something simple, like everybody agrees I have the best beard in Congress. You know, something like that. You have one of the only beards in Congress, okay? I, I saw that Ted Cruz was maybe going to grow out the mutton chops, according to Babylon B. It's not a beard. You know, it's J.D. Kind of a beard. got a strong beard. J.D.'s got a strong beard, but, okay. but Cruz, I don't know what he's got going on there, but it's it looks like something that we used to call it mangy dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it looks. Well, hey, you got a bunch of beeping and buzzing going on over there. I think that means you got to go. So we'll talk yep. to you next month. All right, see ya. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, Perpetual. Petua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Facedown Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>